With sports car racing news and analysis from around the globe, this is the Double Stint Podcast. Here's John DeGeese and Ryan Marine. Hello, everyone. This is Double Stint, Sports Car 365's weekly sports car racing podcast in Indianapolis. I'm Brian Marine. John DeGee joining me from Chicago to talk about the news of the week and also a look ahead to what's to come this weekend in Long Beach. Uh, exciting times as sports car racing heads back to Long Beach, John. I know that's one that uh, we always look forward to. Yeah, absolutely. And, and looking forward to uh, getting down there later this week. Yeah, it's coming up pretty quickly, that's for sure. Uh, we'll also, on the show this week, have an interview with John Hindoff, of course, from IMSA Radio, Radio Le Mans, Midweek Motorsport, uh, all di- kinds of different outlets that I'm sure you've heard his voice on over the years covering sports car racing. He was doing some racing of his own, so we'll talk to him about that, plus a look ahead to Long Beach with John. Uh, also want to mention that while we're not going to spend much time on it here on the program, you can... Head over to the website for our coverage of Blancpain GT World Challenge Asia, which kicked off its season at Sepang. Porsche GT3 Cup Challenge USA by Yokohama and also Lamborghini Super Trofeo North America had races over the weekend at uh, Barber Motorsports Park. So please check that out on uh, sportscar365.com as well. But uh, for now, let's go ahead and dive into the news of the week, John. And an interesting story that... Uh, was talking with Bentley about what they're doing with their driver lineup. It's been a bit in flux, and it continues to be, it would appear, as uh, the British manufacturer is taking a race-by-race approach to really determining, it looks like, what its full-season roster is going to be moving forward with an eye on the, the 24 hours of Spa, of course. Yeah, and this is kind of all stemming from Vince Abril's abrupt exit from the uh, the team and manufacturer. I think right after the Bathurst 12-hour, it became apparent that he had left for ACA ASP in, in a new role there. And it sort of left a, a, an extra seat available for this team, and they didn't opt to fill it with any particular driver. Um, Bentley went ahead and announced their additional drivers for the total 24 hours of spa. Um, we saw two of them in action in the Cali- California eight hours with Marcus Peltala and, um, uh, Lucas Ordinez, and um, both of them performed very well. But um, speaking to Brian Gush, the motorsport director for Bentley, he indicated that you know they're sort of taking a race by race approach on what their lineups could be. Um, we've seen confirmation this week uh, ahead of the Blancpain GT um, Endurance Cup season opener that Alex Buncombe will be um, in the one of the Bentleys for this weekend for for that three hour season opener, taking the seat of a Brill. Um, Al was actually in a KCMG Nissan during the California eight hours, but he's confirmed in a Bentley for the Spa 24 hours. So that'll be his first experience of the Bentley. Um, and also, I, I think we can expect some, maybe some other drivers, maybe Rodrigo Baptista, for instance, um, get a, a drive in a, in a race, in an endurance cup race later this year before um, the big Spa 24 hour race. I think one driver whose status within this lineup, I guess, is the one that people are asking the most questions about is Andy Suchek, um, because we have we didn't see him as part of the lineup at the California Eight Hours. We know he remains a factory driver with Bentley. He has the role with K-Pax, of course, in Blancpain GT World Challenge America, but given the the rocky start to the season i guess is there any reason that um we should pay heed to some of the speculation that's been floating around regarding andy 
It's a bit unclear at the moment. Um, I, when I asked Brian that, he says he's still a Bentley factory driver, and if there was an issue, he wouldn't have shown up to Coda for the opening um, World Challenge America race um, with K-Pax, and so that was a fair point. I think that race was a couple of weeks after the Bathurst 12-hour, where you know, quite arguably Andy didn't have a very good run. There were some mistakes made there um, in pit lane and, and whatnot, and I think he's the first to admit that you know it was a, a pretty challenging race um, uh, for him and, and and the team as well. So um, it was a bit of a surprise, I have to admit, that he wasn't in the lineup for the California eight hours, but Brian sort of indicated that they may end up shifting lineups between the Endurance Cup and the the um, Intercontinental GT Challenge. So they're not actually the same lineups in both championships. So um, that could be a move to sort of have Andy focus more on the Endurance Cup and his commitments with KPAX and in, in Blancpain GT World Challenge America. Um, maybe we'll see um, Lucas or or uh, uh, Marcus maybe complete more uh, intercontinental races after Spa, such as the Suzuka 10 hours or um, season-ending Kailami 9 hour. It all remains to be seen, but I, I think the, the biggest takeaway is that at least, uh, especially from an intercontinental standpoint, Bentley isn't so focused on keeping their drivers retained in the same lineups from a points perspective. Um, they're really focused on the manufacturer's championship there, and I think we can expect some other changes you know, throughout the IGTC season. Um, to be clear, with their existing pool of drivers, I don't think we're going to be seeing any you know, uh, significant lineup shakeups. Um, there is still a seat to be filled for, for Vince Abril for Spa 24 and then beyond. Um, there's a chance we could see one of the spa only drivers completing that seat, you know, in the remaining endurance cup races. But again, we still need another driver to be announced for the 24 hour. All right. So more on that, I'm sure on the website in the weeks and months to come, let's move to another topic. Uh, speaking of drivers that had a rough time of it at Bathurst, Tim Pappas and the black Swan team has been in recovery mode ever since. And John, you had the chance to, to talk with Tim a little bit, really the first public words from Tim since his accident and, and, and uh, able to talk about his recovery, about his plans personally, and as, as well as his plans for the Black Swan team. So could you summarize what he had to say about, first of all, what transpired at Bathurst and then what the future of his racing operation with Black Swan and, and his own involvement as a driver looks like at this point? Well, it could be a full episode, a double stint. <laughs> we could have actually had Tim on as a guest because I think I spent close to you know, 40, 45 minutes talking to him about this. And it was a lot of insight. Um, really great to catch up with him after this you know, arguably challenging time for him. Um, he ended up with a, a two um, broken, a two fractures in his pelvis, um, one on, on each side, um, also a, a broken right arm um, that was uh, so pretty disfigured I, 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 based on what he described. And um, that was a big accident, obviously, but he sort of walked me through the whole thing where, you know, put his foot, put his foot to the pedal and the brake pedal and there was nothing going into the chase. And that's the most, that's the fastest part of the circuit at Bathurst. And so he knew from there, he had to sort of scrub off a lot of speed. Um, he did, but he made some, you know, made a pretty big impact in, in the rear of the Porsche. The car caught fire, then um, talked about the heroic um, moves by two fans, two spectators. And ironically, one of them was a guy he met the day before um, just 
uh, invited him in the pit box and they had a conversation. And ironically, this guy sort of helped put the fire out, you know, less than 24 hours later. And, um, you know, you can read the full story on sportscard365.com for all the details on, on the events leading up to it and, and his, you know, um, flight back to Australia, back to the U.S. and, and whatnot. But I think Tim is in really good spirits, I'd have to say, um, all things considered. He, he realizes it's a long recovery. Um, he's still in physical therapy. He's, it's going to be taking quite a, a while to get 100%, and he's taking a real measured approach. Um, he told me that he's planning to get back behind the wheel of a car, race car, by the end of the year in some kind of testing environment, and he sort of set a, a target of the Rolex 24 next year as his racing return. But that actually hasn't precluded Black Swan from taking part in some races later this year. Um, it looks like they're sort of putting together a potential program for the two remaining Michelin Endurance Cup races at the Six Hours of the Glen and Motul Petit Lama. Um, nothing's confirmed yet. Let's, let's be clear on that. But um, Tim really wants to get the team back out there, um, um, help support Porsche, um, help put them back on, put the team back on on track, and after a real challenging start to the year, so. So um, there's a chance we could see that car on track um, rebuilt from Daytona. Turns out that car actually didn't have chassis damage as initially suspected. Uh, they're new for 2019 Porsche. The team actually ordered two new Porsches, but have um, placed the second Porsche order on hold for the time being, considering Tim's accident. But um, overall, it was great to at least get some clarity on what the what Black Swan's you know, goals, plans are moving forward. And most importantly, to hear from Tim, because he's been a stalwart in sports car racing over the years, um, always been around, um, you know, GT racing. And um, this this was a big one for him. And I'm glad to see he's he's on the recovery. He's on the mend. I was happy to read that as well. And we wish him the best in his recovery. Hope to see that team on the grid again here in the near term as well. It's great to hear that they're eyeing a couple of races here before 2019 is all said and done. Let's close the news section by talking about Racy Competizione's Le Mans lineup, John. We got word this week about, or this past week, I should say, about uh, what to expect from that team as they make their return to Le Mans. It's a star-studded lineup, no doubt about it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we've heard snippets of the lineup, you know, in the last couple of weeks, actually fluctuating quite a bit between the drivers. Um, ultimately, it's been decided with Pippo Durrani, um, Jules Gunan, and Oliver Jarvis as the trio in the team's uh, GTE Pro Class Ferrari for the 24 hours. And it's an interesting lineup for sure, because all three of these drivers have never driven for Risi before. Um, Durrani has one previous start in a Ferrari 488, and that's the ex most experience any of these guys have had. Um, Jarvis makes his GTE debut, um, just like um, Jules Gunan. And for Jules, it'll be his Lama debut. So a lot of firsts sort of wrapped around this lineup. Um, but I, I think it's an exciting one for sure. Um, there was some talk earlier on that Stefan Ortelli could have been part of the lineup. Um, Pierre Kaffer was also initially listed on the entry list, and there was a lot of changes sort of going on behind the scenes, and it sort of all 
dealt with the car owner. So this is going to be a new Ferrari chassis that'll be debuting um, in the race for Risi, but it's owned by a French um, collector. Uh, they they specialize in the sale of uh, historic cars in France. And so there was an obvious deep connection to, to a French driver. And I think they ultimately chose um, Jules for this uh, um Second generation driver, obviously, his father Jean Marc um, is an accomplished sports car driver through the '90s and and 2000s. So, um, really interesting to to sort of see this lineup come together. You know, obviously, Pipo has a, a strong roots with Cadillac and and wheel and engineering racing and IMSA. Um, uh, Ali is right now a, a, a Mazda factory driver as well as racing for KCMG in a Nissan and Intercontinental GT Challenge. And then Jules is a Bentley factory driver. So. Um, you couldn't really make up this lineup, you know, on a, on a normal circumstance, but it's cool to see it sort of come together and it'll be interesting to see how they can take the fight to the factory teams in GTE Pro. Yeah, I suspect it's going to be a lineup to watch when we get to June. So for more on those stories and all of the rest of the news from the week in sports car racing, check out sportscar365.com. But for now, let's take a quick break. We've got giant high... John Hindoff joining us next, of course, the anchor of the radio coverage on IMSA Radio of the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship and all the other IMSA categories as well. Is certainly heavily involved in all of those broadcasts, Radio Lamar, Midweek Motorsport, and more. We'll talk to him about his racing experience over the weekend, plus a look ahead to Long Beach. And after that, John and I will come back for a listener question and as well our preview of what's to come at Long Beach on Double Stint. Hey, I'm Patrick Long, and you're listening to Sports Car 365's Double Stint Podcast. It's our pleasure to welcome John Hindoff onto the Double Stint Podcast. He is, in many respects, the voice of endurance sports car racing. I'm sure you've heard him on IMSA Radio, also Radio Le Mans, Midweek Motorsport, and a host of other outlets as well. And he joins me now to talk some sports car racing and not just what you do in the booth interestingly enough john you had a weekend away from broadcasting motorsports and yet you still found yourself at the racetrack Uh, why don't you tell folks what you were up to this past weekend i believe it was at donnington right well uh, first of all ryan thank you very much um i am one of the voices of broadcasting uh endurance racing but thank you for that yeah what else are you gonna do on a <laughs> on a weekend off uh when i'm i'm not traveling for imza or creventic or any of the other championships that we cover here on radio show limited then the opportunity arose to have a, a weekend at a track radical sports cars uk offered me a drive in an sr3 which is uh, their second tier of uh, sports cars, a proper engineered downforce sports car. And, and what am I going to do? Turn it down? Of course not. So, of course, I said yes and went up to Donington for a test on Thursday and uh, three races totaling 120 minutes on Saturday and Sunday. And how did the weekend go? Was it uh, according to your expectations? Oh, far exceeding expectations. Look, I, I think you and, and most of your listeners know that I do a bit of racing when I can. But uh, 20, 
At 18, was so busy that I never got in a car. So the last time I was behind the wheel of a car was the Aston Martin GT4 at quarter in November 2017 uh, with the guys from Aston Martin who kindly asked me to go along to that. And we placed second in GT4 in the quarter 24 hours. Um, but I've never been in what you might describe as a purpose-built racing car. My early years of driving was all saloons, some front-wheel drive stuff, uh, a bit of GTs and classic cars. It was never the, the route of Formula Ford, Formula Ford 2000 or anything like that. So downforce and Formula cars, mm, it's not there. I don't have it in my, in my toolbox, in my lexicon. So it was a massive steep learning curve for me on Thursday when it was cold and then cold and wet and then cold and drying and then cold and very wet but actually I quite enjoyed the wet um, more than I expected actually uh, downforce cars are a different beast Ryan the last time I drove Donington Park National Circuit which is the bit without the loop so that's with the chicane at the end of the back straight I was driving a Porsche 924 in a six hour race Trust me, it's a completely different looking lap in an SR3 Radical. Lap times quicker than a full house GT3 car, uh, even in the wet, uh, despite having no traction control and no ABS. Uh, it's awesome, uh, but it, it takes... It takes some recalibrating of Hindoff's old brain and old body to get that together. I have no doubt. Hey, do you mind sharing uh, any of the results? Yeah, no problem. Um, I... Uh, I didn't qualify too well. I actually thought I did all right. Um, and I was about three seconds, four seconds off the guys right at the front, uh, which put me 17th out of 18 cars. I raced my way up to 11th in the first 50-minute race, although we would have done a bit better had... Um, I see. Here's where I'm getting out the racing driver's book of excuses already. Yes. Um, the, the, uh, they messed up with the safety car and waved by the leaders... Uh, to give them a lap. The first four got a lap on the field when they shouldn't really have. I, I timed my pit stop perfectly. Uh, you have to have a mandatory pit stop in the middle of the race uh, in the 50-minute races. I timed it perfectly because I could see that the safety car was going to have to come out. I dived in and uh, should have actually. I should have actually got a lap round. And in fact, I ended up two laps down, which I don't really understand how, how that happened. But finished uh, in that race, finished 11th, finished... Uh, no, finished 10th, excuse me. Finished 11th in the 20-minute sprint, which, again, I was starting from my second-best qualifying time. So, again, rather nearer the back than the front. Uh, and that gave me an 11th position start for the 50-minute race on Sunday, which I was really looking forward to because I felt I was beginning to improve. Um, and as we are only allowed six tyres, six Hankook tyres for the weekend. And as everybody else's tyres were going off, they were slowing down. And I was still finding time still on that uh, state learning curve. Do I sound like a racing driver yet? I think I do. Uh, and um, so I was getting closer to the guys at the front of the field. Um, so from being four or five seconds off, I'm now only two seconds off the guys at the front of the field. And I really had very high hopes of the, the third race. But unfortunately, heading down to Redgate, which is the first right-hander at Donington Park, somebody nailed me um, in the braking area, pushed me off. So from then, I was at the back with about a 10-second gap to everybody else. I had to chase back at the back of the field, which I did do. Just about got my pit stop right on that one. 
uh, and fought back, and I eventually finished 13th, which leaves me 10th in the championship. Although I, I, I don't think I'm going to do much more of the championship, but 10th at the end of my first weekend in a, di- in a, in a downforce car actually is, uh, is pretty good. But I've got to tell you, Ryan, you'll know this because you watch as much motor racing as I do. There's lots of people who say... Ah, well, how hard can it be? It's just driving. And I've driven GT3 cars. I've tested GT3 cars. I've raced GT4 cars. And if you treat them like a fast road car and you're sensible and you approach it correctly, you can make a pretty good fist of it. Going to a downforce car, all bets are off. It is a completely different world out there. Uh, for those of you listeners who know Donington Park, for those that don't look it up, the old hairpin at the bottom of the Craner Curves, through the Craner Curves, is flat in sixth at over 140 miles an hour. And then you down to fifth, dab on the brakes and turn in, and you're going through the old hairpin at well over 100 miles an hour. I think the best I saw was 178 kilometres an hour, which is well over 100 miles an hour. And trust me, you've, you've just got to believe in the dark side. It is almost like Obi-Wan saying to you, use the force hound off the downforce because you've just got to believe that you're going to turn in and actually the faster you go, the faster you get and that that's a real that's a real mind meld that you've got to have and he said something else there um, because you go in and you can't get around the corner and then the guy say, well you didn't get around that corner because you're not going fast enough no no I had push I had understeer yes drive faster you won't get that it will stick I promise you and it's like wow they're right and in fairness in the third race I started in the last 20 laps or so of the third race the 50 minute race um I started to get my head around the car moving around a bit more. Sadly, I'd lost half of the diffuser by them from the guy running into us at turn one in the first lap. So it was a little more squirrely than I really wanted to. But coming out of it, all I want to say to Radical, to Hankook, to Motul and all their sponsors is, I want to do it again. I'll absolutely give it another go. And I've just noticed they've got a series in the States, which, as you know, I spend a bit of time in. So might work that just might uh, John Heidoff joining us on the Double State podcast in many ways you anticipated my next question the driving that you do yourself how does that inform you and help educate you as a broadcaster to convey the challenge of driving high performance sports cars to a, a lay listening audience that probably doesn't have that experience Ryan, I think it's essential. I do I, I don't do enough of it as I say I mean in 17 um, I drove I drove some uh, Sangyung pickup trucks at Brands Hatch on the Indy Circuit. I drove the GT4 at, at Quarter in the, the, the 24 hours, the, the Hankook 24 hours there. I, I thoroughly enjoy doing it. In some ways, it's my job to make sense of what's going on on the track. And drivers know that sometimes we have to make judgment calls and have an opinion on things. Well, when you've been behind the wheel yourself and you're in a pack of pickup trucks or GT3 and GT4 cars or radicals as I was this weekend, this past weekend, then it gives you a different view of what's going on. And the decisions that drivers make... In the cold light of us being Monday morning quarterbacks or sometimes Sunday afternoon quarterbacks, when we get the replays and we look and say, well, that wasn't very smart. Well, you've got to put yourself with your backside a couple of inches off the ground where the view that you get is completely different, even from the onboard camera, and say to yourself, what was he seeing? What was he trying to do? What was he trying to achieve? And and I think that's, 
particularly for someone like me who's known for having an opinion about pretty much everything, let's be honest, I think that's really important that I do that. And I've got to tell you, all the, all my driving friends, and I still do have some driving friends, um, all of those professional driving friends have been tremendously supportive for my uh, driving down through the years, and particularly for getting in the Radical. And whether it was David Brabham or Alex Capardia uh, or Alex Brundle or even Patrick Dempsey, who we had on the show last week, we're all passing on a bit of information and saying, go and have a look at this, try a little bit of that. I think it's important. In fact, as I said, I think it's essential. What it does for me is gives me uh, gives me a balance of somebody uh, for somebody who has to make those snap decisions and trying to work out what was going on in the driver's mind when we do that to inform our audience, whether it's audio or visual. Well, John, let's close by looking ahead to Long Beach. It's been a remarkable opening couple of rounds to the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship season. Long Beach coming up next, uh, definitely a unique animal relative to what we've seen so far. What would you say you are expecting if there is such a thing? Can you expect anything with the uh, unpredictable nature of the series as we head to the tight confines of uh, the Long Beach street circuit? Well, look at what we've had already, Ryan, in the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship this year. We've had the high banks and the rain and the disappointment in some respects, uh, and then the result at Daytona. We've had the Mobile One 12 Hours of Sebring, which I thought was an absolutely outstanding race, front to back, top to bottom. And now, so there's two big different circuits straight away. And now we go onto the, onto the streets of Long Beach, which Brian Till, our broadcast colleague, always calls the Concrete Canyon. And that's an accurate description because there are no, no margins for error right there. Just the two pro categories, of course. So it's all a little bit different in the terms of how it looks. That puts the car count down. But as Jeremy Shaw and I always say on IMSA Radio and IMSA TV, I'd rather have more green flag racing and I'll have the quality over the quantity every time. It's the shortest race of the year, but tactics still play a part. And sometimes you're forced into those tactics. We've seen BMW win there when there's been problems early on. They've had to take an early pit stop and then they've made that work for them. We've seen heartbreak for Porsche last year in the GT Le Mans category when Earl Bamber's uh, uh, Earl Bamber's car had a suspension failure behind the safety car. The thing about Long Beach is it's always going to throw up something odd. And whether it's an, uh, an incident on the last couple of laps that turns around a result or whether it is just a different winner, it's always something that the headlines can't be written beforehand. Worth a listen worth a watch we'll have all of the coverage it's, a, it's an odd situation in terms of how we work with IMSA because we tend to have an early morning practice or, or, or warm up session and then a, a session again in the afternoon whether that's qualifying or the race but it's it's always worth tuning in for because there's there's always a couple of stories there and the championship is just starting to get underway and as we always say about Long Beach small mistakes big consequences and no scores at Long Beach can really hurt you for the rest of the year. Well, we look forward to seeing you there, John. Congratulations on a successful weekend of your own at the racetrack this past weekend. And like I said, we'll see you out in Long Beach. Thank you. Hi, I'm Stephen Simpson, and you're listening to Sports Car 365's Double Stint Podcast. Back on Double Stint, big thanks to John Hindoff for joining me. Uh, just uh, after returning home from the racetrack at Donington, and uh, really kind of him to take some time to chat with us about his 
particular story from over the weekend. John DeGee's back with me now. We've got a listener comment, really, this week, and it comes from Masked Racer, who wants to say that he disagreed with the comments that we had last week about caution-free racing being bad. He says this is endurance racing. This is how it's supposed to be in its purest form. It's not supposed to be treated on the same level as a sprint race where you do expect close finishes. For instance, he writes he thinks the 2018 Daytona 24 has been the best running of that race since 2000 because of the open green running it had. I would reply first that I don't think either of us said that that caution-free racing is bad. I think our point simply was having full-course yellows results in the kinds of dramatic moments that we tend to remember races for, and that adds to some excitement. So uh, what I would also add is that I'm in no way in favor of any kind of artificial yellows, bogus yellows or stages or anything like that that would, in a contrived manner, bunch the field up again and have restarts or or eliminate leads, anything like that. But if it happens naturally, I think that does tend to lead to some exciting racing. Nevertheless, your your point is well made, and uh, it's an interesting one. I think there are plenty of people who would agree that the 2018 Rolex 24 was a memorable and exciting race. And I think I came into the camp that was defending that race pretty pretty much uh, and felt like I was in the minority there. But a lot of people, I think, remember say, the the 2017 or 2016 races that had a bit more drama there. Uh, your thoughts on that, John? Yeah, not, not much more to add there, Ryan, but I, I would say, you know, I think our comments were sort of in reference to what Ranger Vanderzand has said on air in that, you know, if there were some more traffic, you know, more cars, slower cars, GT4 cars, more cars overall in the field, it could lead to more chaos and incidents. And that's just sort of a fact of life usually. And when you have a reduced field, especially all pro material, it's going to be less cautions. And, um, you know, I, I, I think what we saw in the California eight hour was, was pure racing, you know, speaking to the drivers post-race, they were exhausted. You know, even I think Kelvin Vanderlinda told me that it felt like his four hours of drive time felt worse than a 24 hour race in, 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 in many ways. So that says a lot and it maybe is difficult to sort of portray that um, on TV and, and, you know, through an entire broadcast, you know, when there isn't much physical action on track in terms of passes or, or contact or, or, the, or the leads are, leads are stretched out a little bit, you know, um, and I'm not a fan of artificial yellows either. So um, overall, I, I think we, you know, it's nice to have a mix of, of situations. And um, while this year's California eight hour ran caution free, I'm sure the next one probably won't, you know, for whatever reason. Yeah, I'm totally in agreement with you, and and I think your point about having the possibility for for either is good. So if it runs clean, that's great. If there happen to be yellows and we get things bunched up and some uh, more dramatic action takes place, that's great too. And, uh, you know, it's all part of the roulette game that we play when when we go to the racetrack. So thank you very much for writing in. I I certainly understand where you're coming from on it, but uh, anyway, hopefully that helped to clear up our particular opinions on the subject. Let's wrap things up, John, by previewing what's to come at Long Beach. We've got the WeatherTech Championship, the DPI, and GTLM classes headed out to Long Beach. Also, Pirelli GT4 America Sprint with its next race. 21 cars on the entry list headed out to Long Beach. So it should be an interesting, fun, 
uh, fast-paced weekend for sports car racing on the streets there in uh, California. I always look forward to this event. Yeah, and it's a nice complement of sports car platforms. We have the DPI, we have GTLM, GTE cars, and then we have GT4. Only thing we're really missing is GT3. We had those last year with Pirelli World Challenge, but they've decided to make this a, a GT4 only event, but um, that's not too bad. And also um, LMP2s are obviously missing as well, thanks to the decision by IMSA to uh, reduce their calendar, um, take out the street races. Um, I think that was made late last year in response to the lower car counts for, for P2 this year. But um, nonetheless, there's been some changes up front in terms of BOP for for the IMSA race, the 100-minute Bubba Burger uh, Sports Car Grand Prix. We have um, most notably uh, a weight uh, break for the Acura ARX05, 20 kilos lighter than they were at Sebring. They also get a uh, a slight RPM boost um, uh, through most through the uh, mid through to upper range RPM. Um, the Mazda has been given a five kilo weight break, um, but a reduction in in uh, boost pressures towards the top end of the, the the scale. And then also the Nissan DPI has been given an increase in uh, power i think the most out of everybody um it's comes out roughly to 12.5 kilo um kilowatts of of power so um it'll be interesting to see what what how these uh changes you know uh, affect things the cadillac's actually been given 10 kilos of additional weight so um yeah it, it, it sort of wholesale changes here since sebring um, gtlm hasn't seen much change other than the porsche getting a 10 kilo weight break and um, the Ford GT getting a power reduction of the range of around 5.3 kilowatts. So, um, yeah, it, it's always a, a fast-paced weekend, not much track action for uh, IMSA or uh, SRO America competitors. So uh, every single second of, of practice is usually crucial for these teams to sort of get up to speed. And and of note, um, this, this weekend will be the first time with uh, Michelin tires in the top prototype class since I believe the ALMS era um, in a street race that is, you know, um, in, in, so it's been quite some time since uh, Michelin has been on the uh, street circuit in, you know, top level prototype racing. So it's exciting to sort of see how that goes. They obviously have a rich history at Long Beach and in the ALMS days. And um, yeah, looking forward to the track action, which begins on Friday. And regarding Pirelli GT4 America Sprint, again, 21 cars on the grid. I think that's a a pretty good car count and should make for a fun weekend and a fun race uh, when we get to the race for those competitors. Yeah, it's an increase over what they had at St. Petersburg. We got some additional entries this weekend. Uh, James Safronis is making a cameo appearance in a GMG Audi. We have CRP Racing returning to competition with Matthew Brabham in a previous generation Porsche Cayman uh, GT4 Club Sport MR, um, some other additional entries. You can check the full um, list on sportscar365.com. But um, this will be a unique one because it's only one race on Sunday, 50 minutes, single driver, um, very much like what the GT3 cars have been over the years at Long Beach, except now it's just GT4. Um, there were a handful of GT4 cars invited to this race last year because of the low car count for GT3. And I think that's sort of what led SRO to sort of decide to to do it this way this year. And um, 
definitely a, a strong field, and um, it's going to be cool to see so many GT4s on such a famed uh, street circuit like Long Beach. Yes, I'm excited to see it. Uh, looking forward to seeing you out there as well. This is a, always a fun event and a highlight of the sports car racing calendar in North America. That's it for us on the show this week. We'd love a rating and a review on iTunes if you have the time. We'd also love to hear from you. If you have a question for our next show, you can leave it in the comment section or use the hashtag AskDoubleStint on Twitter. Talk with you next week with our next edition of the Double Stint Podcast. Double Stint Podcast.